Have you ever tasted a ghost before? Well, the closest you will ever come to savor one is if you sit down on your own, put a bottle of wine on the table, read the label like it's tombstone, pull out the cork to set the ghost free, lure some of it into a clear glass where it feels relaxed again, and look at its tears on the side to understand its sacrifices. Take a deep breath to smell its dreams and desires, take a good sip to let it become a part of you forever, and listen to its whispers to understand its true story. As a sommelier, my duty as well as my pleasure is to translate these whispers to all of you wine lovers. And this is what this podcast series is about, the whispers. So, this is the first blind tasting, or as I like to call it, ghost tasting episode. Uh, this series not only include my tasting impressions or and slurping, but uh, I try to give some insights behind the labels and terroirs uh, which I, I am going to taste. I would also like to share the systematic approach that I try to use every time I taste and link it to the so-called hard facts about the wine regions, production methods and also grape characteristics and so on. But I think identifying wines blind mostly comes back to practice, of course. Identifying particular chemical compounds like uh, pyrazine or rotondon and recognize certain winemaking methods and grape characteristics, of course, which you can later link to certain terroirs. But another key part is really to trust your gut, maybe, and um, listen to the ghost in your glass. Very simply, what does it want from you? What does it want to tell you? Is it a fresh, young bursting of energy just cut out of the closed steel tank while uh, taking a hit of sulfur and wants to conquer the world right away? Or maybe it's an older guy whose parents, meaning the plants themselves, the wines, live in the same vineyards for 60 years, have really deep roots, and who has already got some impressions of the outside world through the staves of a wooden barrel and really wants to hang out for a while till it becomes a part of you. But uh, listening to the whispers doesn't come easy. So concentrate, relax and really enjoy the stories what, uh, what the wine wants to tell you. Uh, in this first episode, I, I would like to talk about two Rieslings, more specifically one from the famous Mosel and one from the maybe lesser known Württemberg wine region. Both of them are German regions, of course. Württemberg is really on the south part, southwest side of Germany, and the warmest sites can be found there, and the Mosel is more in the northwest. It really is cooler, more rain, and just another terror. Um, Riesling has many faces and likes to reflect its birthplace. That was one of the reasons why I chose this variety for the first episode. You know, it can be still or sparkling, bone dry, sweet as a cake, or light bodied, zesty, bursting of floral aromas, or really just smash <laughs> you in the face with some petrol and honey. So, just to name a few Elsass, Clear Valley, Wachau, Rangau, Nae, New Zealand, New York State, just to mention a few terroir. Mm, these can all produce excellent wines, excellent Rieslings, but every one of them has different soils. Not only soils, but soils. 
Um, however, German Rieslings are somewhat the cornerstone, um, although the style of German Rieslings is nowhere close to uniform. But as a main tendency, it's increasingly dry. Um, the reasons behind this trend are rather complex, but uh, maybe the two main reasons should be somewhere between technological advantages and winemaking practices, namely more deliberate fermentation techniques and um, customers' intention of consuming less sugar, maybe even in the wine. The Germans also refer to this period as Trockenwelle, as I learned recently. It, uh, it means dry wave. It started, I think, in the 70s or 80s. Because also after the First and Second World War, the um, tendency was more towards sweeter wines. But on the more practical side of things, uh, residual sugar is an important counterbalancing agent for the excess uh, acidity that is really so associated with German Riesling, especially in cooler regions like the Mosel. Mm. Although the global warming will certainly has a say in the future as well, I think. And sugar also helps to enhance the aromatic richness and greatness of Rieslings, but I don't really want to dig too deep in that topic just yet, maybe in another podcast where I'm gonna talk about uh, chemicals and wines and certain aroma compounds. So the reason of choosing the Mosel and Württemberg regions for this tasting is because I recently recorded a podcast at the Albert Klisting Winery not far from Heilbronn in Württemberg, southern Germany. And I was really impressed by the, by the tasting, especially by the uh, 2018 vintage uh, Riesling Spätleser. Um, although it didn't make the impression of the most typical German Riesling, it left me really with the desire of stocking up some bottles in my own cellar. Um, if you are not really familiar with uh, what does Spätleser means, it, uh, so word by word it means late harvest, um, but it shouldn't be identified with sweet wine. So, these are really later harvested grapes, which are more ripe. And the Rieslings, which I tasted at the Albrecht Kisling Winery, these were particularly ripe Rieslings and really were bursting of warmth and while showing also great freshness. So it's not to say that they are simple wines, but rather complex in terms of texture, not really in terms of aromas. So not really complex in terms of having 20-something aromas in your glass, but complex because ripe primary fruit flavors come along, but really complex in terms of structure rather than aroma profile. I also thought that it would be a great educational experience, not only for me, but maybe for some other wine enthusiasts to show the many faces of German Rieslings. So I ended up buying a Riesling from Marcus Monitor, TMM. Riesling. I'm going to put all the details below in the description and also on Instagram. This winery I think has like 15 different sites uh, and more than 90% of the plantings are Rieslings. So if I would have to call anyone an expert on this grape, he surely be one of them. And um, his wines are coming from the middle Mosel, Bernkastel, from around Klosterberg. And this is uh, not a vineyard specific or vineyard selected, 
but I think this reasoning will reflect the terroir really well. So similar price level at around 10 euros and from the same vintage 2018 uh, a really good vintage quite warm vintage so the Moselle being much cooler and the soil also much more stony and and full of the famous red and by some more cherished uh, blue slate the color differences are mostly related to the iron content in the slate so red having more iron probably in the soil but it's only a really broad generalization. The soil can also be described as shale and it's a very rich in clay minerals and uh, retains heat really well which is truly of utmost importance in a, in a cooler climate like the Mosel. I also try to minimize the potential differences in terms of drinking temperature, wine glasses and winemaking methods. So both had a couple of hours of cold skin maceration and haven't seen any wood. So the wines were pewed in the kitchen by my girlfriend actually and uh, brought to me in two Rita glasses and I'm gonna taste them really shortly, almost exam situation, so I don't like so I wouldn't like to, you know, write a book about them, just really go with my gut, really. So the first wine um, has a bit deeper color. Uh, also a bit more tearing, some more evaporation. This would indicate, um, yeah, riper grade, maybe yeah, potentially higher alcohol content, uh, more viscosity also, but it's still more on, on a yellowish, greenish side. So it didn't turn yet into this orangey, brownish color. On the nose, Wow, full of ripe fruit aromas, almost like tropical. Mm. Pineapple, ripe orange, maybe also like ripe or almost overripe white peach or apricot. So my instinct would tell me that it comes from a warmer climate and maybe from a warmer soil, or at least from a warmer vintage. But I know the vintage, so it was a quite a warmer vintage. Or also late hanging grapes could also be a possibility. I do not detect any aromas leading me to significant oak influence or even botrytis. No salty or other kind of rocky smell, which would lead me maybe to the wise of Mosel or to a more stony rocky soil. So it's really primary aromas, I would say. So on the palate. Oh, it's quite mouth filling. Not acid driven, I would say. It has more body, almost luscious on the palate. It feels very round, really lacking rough edges, I would say. I would even dare to say maybe that the acidity is, yeah, medium, medium plus. I don't know the, the exact numbers of acidity or residual sugar. I deliberately didn't want to check it beforehand. But I'm gonna put all the facts in the description so you can check it later. But the wine's maybe dominant feature is, or what sticks out to me is not acidity, but slightly almost oily, like an orange oil, lanoly texture. 
Although we do not talk about tannins and white wines, the, the grapes that went into making uh, this wine had a great phenolic ripeness, which is this I would tell. Also, a hint of jamminess is also maybe present. Interesting. Okay, so I'm gonna drink some water. I also recommend this to you if you do blind tasting or tasting. Just just to give a clean to your palate, actually. So the second wine. Mm, the color is slightly paler than the other one, more straw-like. And much more green reflexes, I would say, than the, than the later. Okay, and the nose. Wow. <laughs> okay, instantly feels more fresh. Leaner, I would say, more precise. Really, it tells you face-to-face -face what it wants, really, uh, <laughs> I would guess. In Mosa wines, cool climate, maybe I could generalize like that. I usually get an almost like acidic smell, almost like a cleaning agent or something like that. So the nose on the, on the second wine is really tight, like really straightforward, more green fruits on the nose. So the palate. Wow. Okay. The first, what really sticks out is acidity bursting in your mouth almost scraping it you want to have some gorgonzola right away mm. your saliva needs some help and protein and fat oh it's almost electrifying really okay this would those already give me a hint i think in general acidic structure the structure of acidity is really a good mark for for distinguishing between also great grape varieties and climate so on the palate, it's um, more, just let me have another sip first. Okay, more citrus, lemon zest, lime fruit, almost crispy, really, really citric. Much more linear, I would say. It doesn't want to dance in your mouth round and round. This is what I mean by linear. Just want to cut through, really. No, no sign of malolactic fermentation. Um, very gripping. Wow, leaves um, but also leaves a dry sensation. But um, some residual sugar is maybe also palpable. I would guess that the acidity is simply overtones the residual sugar, even though it's maybe more than five, six grams. Because really, you need like five or six grams to detect residual sugar, if you really have a trained palate. Maybe if you are not really accustomed to, to tasting or to detect residual sugar, you maybe even need more. So this is, for example, what I'm looking for in a Mosa wine, palpable uh, residual sugar, a palpable RS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is what you get. Wow. Okay. This is what you get first. Maybe the sugar in the in the forefront of your mouth and then comes the acidity mostly maybe in the back of your mouth and the other note what uh, really distinguishable is that the so-called flintiness it's hard to define but it's like a hint of smoke I, <laughs> I once tried to make fire upon camping on Chobans which is a small volcanic hill in Hungary and I tried to make some fire with basalt like stones of course never happened but uh, the smell was something really unique and 
really something else than a match, you know? Crash, stroke, really, or something like that. Although this aroma was, up until this point, never undoubtedly linked to particular soil types yet, so it's more likely to be derived from certain sulfur compounds. But it's somehow still a great character mark, maybe for vines coming uh, from a rocky, stony soil or volcanic soil. Okay, so what my gut tells me that the first wine is coming from Württemberg, so from a warmer climate, warmer, um, warmer soil, and I'm actually convinced that the second wine is coming from the Mosa, but you know, let's reveal. I got a paper from the from my girlfriend, which which wine was which? So let's see. Okay. Oh, great. <laughs> so I'm right, actually. So the first wine with more riper notes. Maybe just to summarize a bit, more riper notes, lack of flintiness, and more primary fruit. Maybe less acidity, less pop of RS. This was really the less electric. I would say this is maybe not. A great definition but it's true the selected that was the Württemberger wine and the second wine was from the Mosel so I hope you get something out of this episode it was really spontaneous and really wasn't prepared so let me know what you think in the on Instagram or on Facebook just look for the wine ghost you will find it I'm sure and also you can write an email the email address is in the description as well as the technical notes and the wines uh, from this evening. And yeah, just let me know if I should continue or not, or what do you want to hear, really? I Because I'm learning new things about wine every day, and I would really like to help everyone to have a bit more understanding of this wonderful beverage, of this wonderful gift called wine, and really just let me know what do you want to learn about. And, I try to do my best. So listen to the ghost in your class. That's maybe the most important takeaway of this evening. And, you know, have some fun. See you in the next episode.